Well, hey there. Welcome to the Agios Dose. My name is Bill Dykstra. Today, we're going to continue our series on Eastern Christian saint titles with the saint title, Myrrhbearer. So full disclosure, I kind of wish that I had done this episode a few weeks back. On the third Sunday after Pascha, we actually commemorate the Myrrhbearers, and so it might have been nice to have an episode in and around that time. But you know what? That's okay. We're still doing it. Ascension is this week, so it's all still within the season. So let's begin. Researching for this episode was interesting. It was interesting because it was another lesson in not believing everything you read. In the secondary source material that I was primarily using, it took the group of the Murbearers and kind of separated them into two camps. These are the people, say, in group A. These are the folks who are all identified in scripture. In group B, these are the folks that tradition says are Murbearers also. And then that confused me. I thought, okay, so why traditionally do we believe that these other people are also myrrhbearers, but it's not identified in scripture? Well, the answer is there, there, is no, there is no separation. All of them are mentioned in scripture. Some, some of them are implicitly mentioned in scripture. Some of them are typologically um, myrrhbearers, and we're going to go through that. But I thought that, you know what, this is a lesson for me to kind of dig deeper than just what's on the surface. So let's begin actually talking about the Myrrhbearers and why they're important. The title Myrrhbearer is given to those people who were involved with the preparation and burial of Christ's body, some of whom were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. We'll start the story with Matthew's Gospel. There are also many women there, looking on afar, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Continuing with John's Gospel, After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had at first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, who no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now let's continue with Mark's Gospel. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices to anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb when the sun had risen. And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. He said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. But go to his disciples and Peter. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come upon them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So, let's recap. These are the names of the people that we just mentioned in the Gospels. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Salome. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Herod Stewart's Chusa, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So, if you read anything about the Merbears, and it says that Susanna and Joanna are only traditionally known as being Merbears, know that that's not true. Here we see that scripture implies it, being the women who followed him from Galilee, who, when seeing where he was laid, went and prepared the myrrh and the spices. Now let's look at our final two myrrh-bearers. They are Mary and Martha. Now that might confuse you for a minute, because you may very well know that Mary and Martha are not explicitly in and surrounding the events of the Passion, but you know what? They do prefigure them in John's 12th chapter. So let's read. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom had been raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put into it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She had kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but for me you do not have always. So Mary and Martha are pointing towards, they're typifying the anointing of oils that is soon to come. Jesus' passion, which is soon to come. They foreshadow the myrrh-bearers, and therefore they are myrrh-bearers. Now there are a few angles we can take from the example of the myrrh-bearers and how they are important for us to reflect on. The women at the tomb are the very first witnesses of the resurrection. As I was reading some commentary on this, one reflection was that in the garden, it was a woman who first ate the forbidden fruit, witnessing to sin. Now, in the restoration of that error, it would be women in the garden who first came to know the saving power of God. I thought that was interesting. Now, another angle is how they bear witness to us the virtue of faith, because even after the death of Christ on the cross, these people show their fidelity to him. Their love for Jesus wasn't contingent upon anything, let alone whether he was alive 
or dead. They proceeded with caring for him and for his body. The following is a short excerpt from a homily of Pope St. Gregory on the myrrh-bearing women, and this is what we're going to end with. You've heard, dearly beloved, that the holy women who had followed the Lord came to the sepulchre with spices. They had loved him when he was alive, and they showed him their eager tender-heartedness even when he was dead. Their deed points to something that must be done in our holy church. Thus, as we hear of what they did, we must also think of our own responsibility to imitate them. We too, who believe in him who died, approach his sepulchre with spices, if we are strengthened with the sweet smell of the virtues, and if we seek the Lord with a reputation for good works. And the women who came with the spices saw angels, since those who advance towards God through their holy desires, accompanied by the sweet smell of the virtues, behold the citizens from on high. So, I hope you enjoyed today's episode on the Holy Murbearers. It was certainly a taxing episode to record, but nonetheless, I think it was pretty worthwhile. This has been your Daily Dose of Agios. Have a good day.